So today, as I said, we're going to do something a little different. Uh, it really isn't a, a message, a sermon uh, like I prepared today. We've, <clears throat> we've spent the better part of the beginning of this year really going through the gospel, studying Jesus, studying his life, uh, going th- even after Jesus was resurrected and looking at the book of Acts. And we, we spent a lot of time learning. And I thought, you know what? I, I want to take a break. I, I want to just get a chance to talk to you guys. Um, some of you I get a chance to talk to. I'll, I'll catch you at the door on your way out. Some of you are like NFL running backs. And somehow you like dodge and weave and get out the door without me. You've been here for weeks and I have no idea who you are. I'm going to get you. But here's what I figured. I got you here now. You have to sit. You have to listen. I've got the microphone. So you're going to listen to everything I have to say. So I just figured, I'm just going to talk now. Now you can't get out of it. But here's what we're going to do. Instead of writing, instead of basically writing like a sermon and, and teaching you, I thought, what would I do if we were sitting down for a cup of coffee with you and your family, you said, hey, Jim, you're the pastor here. We've been coming for a while. What do you want for us? What do you want our experience at Journey to be? What are you hoping for for us? If, if you could say anything to us, what would you say? So that's what I've done. I've basically, we've, we've compiled a message that is, are basically uh, around five wishes. If I could wish five things for you with your experience at Journey, being a part of us, taking steps in your faith, what are those things that I'd hope for you? And that's how we've kind of crafted our talk today. So it's going to be a little more informal you're going to hear from my heart as your pastor and what I hope for you and really what I hope for this church as we continue to do our best to create an environment, to create a church for people who, who don't like to go to church, for unchurched people. That's really what we've set out to do from the beginning. It's what we're going to do every day that we keep our doors open, and it's what, what we want you to do when you're being a part of it with us. And the reason we're going to, we're going to tackle it this way is, is really, this is kind of the thesis, is that I, as I've talked with people and I've met with people, what I, I find are a lot of people that have, have spent any time following Jesus. If you've been a Christian from a young age or maybe you know, for the last 10 years you've been following Jesus, that at some point along the way, our faith becomes a little stale. Faith, our faith becomes maybe a little old. It becomes a little boring. And here's how I want to start off. If your faith, if following Jesus for you has become a little boring, you're not going to like this, but you're doing something seriously wrong because following Jesus shouldn't be boring. Being a Christian shouldn't be boring. Being a part of what God's doing in the community shouldn't be boring. Here's like a a, a newsflash. Jesus didn't die for you to be bored. He didn't. He died with with, with you to be on mission and to do something significant, to see something happen in you and to see something happen through you. And and if we're missing it, if, if our faith is boring, but Jesus isn't bored and the church isn't bored and the mission he's given us isn't bored, then perhaps we're doing something wrong. Perhaps somewhere along the way, we're missing it. And that's what I think of. When I think of what we're going to get into, that's kind of the idea. I don't want your faith to become boring. I don't want following Jesus for you to ever be considered something I have to do, to check the box and go to church, but it's something that I get to be a part of. So my first wish for you is this. My first wish for you is a courageous act of obedience that costs you something. I wish that everybody here would have a courageous act of obedience that costs you something. Now, this isn't something that happens all the time. I'm not expecting this to happen every day or every week, even every month. This is something that happens occasionally, but every once in a while, you feel God to begin to nudge on you. Maybe it's in a message. Maybe it's during our worship time. Maybe it's at your small group when you're studying. Maybe it's at home when you're reading the Bible or you're praying, but you feel this nudge to do something significant. And I, my prayer for you is that when you feel that nudge, you take this courageous step and you do something about it. Yes, it'll cost you something. Yes, there might be a sacrifice involved, but my prayer for you is that you would obey that nudge, that you would respond to it. Because where your obedience is, obedience is, is this. I wrote this down. I thought this was a good definition. Obedience is an active opinion that pushes you out of your comfort zone. Obedience is doing something you may not actually want to do, but you're willing to do it anyway. 
And when your obedience, when your act of faithfulness shown as an act of obedience to God intersects with God's faithfulness to you, at that intersection, at that point, something significant happens to you and in you and through you, and you will never, ever, ever be the same. When you're obedient to God and you're faithful and God's faithful to you, right in, that, in those crosshairs, in that intersection, something significant happens that changes your life. And I want that for every one of you. I want you to be able to respond when God nudges you to do something, when he kind of moves you out and, and, and you feel a little bit uncomfortable and you're, you're willing to take that step, but you're just not sure of what the outcome is. In, in Christian circles, we, we have this thing where we call everything deep, right? Well, that was really deep. And, and, and I, I feel like somewhere along the way, we've kind of misinterpreted what the word deep means. It's kind of meant like I go to a church and I hear a pastor and I didn't understand anything he said, so he was really deep. I was totally confused. It was, it was so good. And then, you know, you're like, yeah, it was. That's how we know it's deep, because we didn't understand anything. It's like, why would you go to a church like that? <clears throat> we have this idea that deep is all about information and more information and, more, and, and even being confused. But really, that's not what deep is at all. Deep isn't about information. Deep is about transformation. It's about taking the knowledge you have and doing something with it, do, being transformed, acting on obedience, a courageous act of obedience that might cost you something in the end even though you don't want to give it up. Deep isn't about information. Deep is about transformation. How deep can you go? I mean, really, when you think of deep, we think of like we can't touch the bottom. right? You're in the deep end of the pool. You're out in the lake swimming, and you look down, and you can't see, and you can't touch. You're kind of you're out there, and you're just overwhelmed. right? Maybe I'm in over my head. I'm so deep, God, I don't know what to do. And we look up and we have to ask God for help. And God says, that's exactly where I want you. At the place where you're dependent on me. At the place where I can show up and I can show off. Because that's what I've seen. When people are willing to follow God, when they're willing to take acts of obedience, when they're willing to step outside of their comfort zone and take God as word, completely unsure of what the outcome might look like. When they're willing to do that, God shows up and God responds. It's like God's been nudging the whole time. Do that. Try this. Give it a shot. And when we're willing to do it, when we step out and we feel completely overwhelmed, God says, now I can do something. Now I can do something in you and I can do something through you. And that's my hope for you. When you can't touch bottom, obedience is obedience with no guarantee of outcome. I have no idea how this is going to go. I have no idea what the result will be. But I'll follow you. That's how this church got started. About six years ago, I had a really good job with a really good pay and I had insurance and I had a beautiful wife that just gave birth to a beautiful baby girl, and I felt a nudge, a nudge to do something different, and I wasn't sure what, I wasn't sure how, I wasn't even sure where, but I decided to follow God, and, and I quit my job, not having any place to go. I had no idea where I was going to work, had no idea what I was going to do, but my wife and I felt like God was moving us onto something different. And I remember talking to our family, and they, they love us, they've been our biggest supporters, but they're like, so let me get this clear. You had a perfectly good job with a good pay, you had insurance, you had a, a beautiful wife who just gave birth to a beautiful baby, and you quit. Yeah, I know it makes no sense. What are you going to do? Got no idea. Where are you going to go? No, no clue. Where are you going to work? Not really sure. All I know is that God said move. And my answer was yes. And I followed God. I followed God at his word, and here we are. For some of you, God's been nudging you for a while and you've taken your time, and you said, well, maybe not now, maybe next time. God, I, I, I've got this other thing I, I've got to do. Or, or you feel a nudge in church, and then you go home, and you eat your lunch, and you fall asleep, and you completely forget about what God has been nudging you to do. My prayer for you, my wish for you, is that you would follow that nudge, 
that as God begins to nudge you, as God begins to move in you, you wouldn't say, hold on, God. You would say, yes, God. Now what? When we started the church, when we were actually when we were beginning to start the church, a few year, uh, about six years ago, when we had this idea for it and we began to talk about it, a year in, a young man asked me, came to me and said, I, I want to know more about this. He had a whole list of questions, so I sat down and I did my best to ask him to answer every question. I got done answering his questions, and he looked at me and said, okay, we're in. And I'm completely like, kind of flabbergasted because this guy lives here. He has family here. He has a house. What do you mean you're in? He said, yeah, yeah, we're in. And I think I looked so shocked. He then followed up with, okay, I'm in. Now I've got to go ask my wife. Okay, that's, that's the much better response, right, ladies? <clears throat> and that week, Chris and Amy Madden became the first couple to join our launch team. And from that moment on, my wife and I were talking about this last night over dinner. From that moment on, we saw this incredible obedience. Not knowing where, not knowing when, not knowing how. It was all on the line. The answer was yes, and it was, okay, God, not tell me where. We didn't know. We thought it was Portland, and we would take two or three trips a month down to Portland to get something started. It didn't work. We thought it was going to take six months. It ended up taking two years. We rewrote the book and came back here and decided to do Hamden. He said, okay, I'm in. He sold his house, moved into a really small rental, did everything he could to get into the community, and here he is. And the entire time, it was never no, it was never maybe. It was yes. Just tell me when, tell me where, and tell me how. I'm in. I wish that for you. That's what that kind of obedience is. It's yes, God. Now tell me what. Yes, God, I'll go. Tell me where. Yes, God, I'll do it. Just tell me how. I'm in. The rest, God, is up to you. That's what I hope for you. And I could tell you story after story after story of people who have come along the way and become a part of this team. Our entire leadership team at some point has had to answer that and make a sacrifice. Every single one of them is unpaid. And every single one of them, when I asked them to be a part of the leadership team, uh, this is my sales pitch. Tell me how good this was. Listen, it's like 10 or 12 hours of work a week. I need you there every Sunday. I'm going to push you. I'm going to stretch you. I'm going to come down hard on you. And by the way, I can't pay you a thing. Who would take that job? Your leadership team did. Aren't you happy they said yes? Somebody else besides me? <laughs> They're sitting in the back. You're really embarrassed now. Aren't you happy they said yes? I am. Because without them, we wouldn't be able to do this. It took people with that courageous act of obedience who said, yes, it might cost me something. It might cost me everything. But God, the answer is yes. Now tell me where, tell me when, and tell me how. I'm in it for you. I wish that for every single one of you that you would listen to the nudge. Some of you, you need to quit your job. God's been nudging you. Some of you, you need to start a new job. God's been nudging you. Some of you, you need to start the business that God's put on your heart for years and years and years, and you just keep pulling back and pulling back. Some of you, you need to serve a journey. <clears throat> we talk about it all the time, about serving, and about being a, a part of a team, and you hear it, and you're like, yeah, maybe I should, but, but somebody else can do it, and I've, you know, I've got things to do. Or you hear, you're excited in the moment, and then you go home, and you, know, you never fill out the card, you never go online, you never become part of a team. Some of you need to get, be a part of what's happening here. One of our, our volunteers, I always love this story. Her name's Whitney. She's actually sitting on the front row. She's our preschool director. When she was asked to join a team, I remember the week Hallie asked her, she, her immediate response to that was, no, absolutely not. And then she went home, and she read her Bible. And she called Hallie that night and said, okay, I guess I'm in. I, I'm not sure how, I'm not sure why, but I feel like God's moving me. I'll, I'll serve. And then a few months later, I asked her to lead, and she's like, absolutely not. And she went home, and she prayed. And she read her Bible, and she came back and said, okay, I guess I'm in. And every week she has an opportunity to transform your preschoolers, to show them that God loves them and that God has a plan for them and that Jesus wants to be their friend. And we've seen lives transformed by a courageous act of obedience. 
You see, the truth is in these moments, God isn't looking to just do something through you. He wants to do something in you. And every time you say no, every time you move away from that nudge, every time it's, yeah, but, but later on, yeah, when I'm done, yeah, I'll get to it later. God says, but you're missing it. You've missed an opportunity. And now I've got to go find somebody else to do what I want to do. Don't miss the opportunity. Don't miss what's before you. For some of you, I'm going to get really personal. You're not going to like this. Some of you need to break up with him. You need to break up with her. You've been dating for a while, and, and you kind of have this feeling. But I'll, I'll tell you who really knows. Your friends know. Your mom knows. And deep inside, you, you kind of know. You know what's not right, but you're really worried. What if nobody else comes along? They might not. Yeah, but, but Jim, what if? And what, 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 what if? And we just make excuse after excuse. And God's been telling you the whole time, this isn't for you. I've got something better in store for you. This isn't for you. Break up. And you've been putting it off, and you've been putting it off, and you've been putting it off. And every time you put it off, do you know what you do? You move God further and further and further into the periphery. You move him away because he's getting on your case and you don't like it. And the longer you do that, the more you move away from God. And my hope for you isn't to move away from God, but to move closer to God. And do you know what happens if you're willing to take God at his word and say no and break up? Your relationship with God becomes of exceptional importance and begins to grow and you hear clearer, and you think clearer. Take some time off from it. Say no. Move out of the house. Some of you need to break up. Some of you need to... The truth is, like, both of you need to, and it's just a matter of which one's going to do it first. Be the initiator. Break up. Move out. For some of you, you need to take a year off of dating. And every time I say this, I always get pushed back. You're crazy. I'll, like, I'll never do that. And then some people actually do it and say, that was the best year of my life. As a matter of fact, after the first service, and I talked about it, somebody came up to me and said, I remember you telling me that, and I wish you told me to take three years off of dating. You should change it to three. And I said, I think I'll lose them. <clears throat> you should take a year off of dating. When you take a year off of dating, do you know what happens? You begin to think clearer. You know what you want. You don't feel like you're settling. You, you know exactly what you want out of life and what you want out of a relationship. Take a year off, and then, you, and then you, you know, you're back on the market. And I, I, I don't know why we use that word. That's not my word. People say, I'm back on the market. It's like the weirdest thing to say to someone, isn't it? I don't know why you're telling me that. Not really shopping. Back on the market. You're back on the dating scene. And you know exactly what you want out of a mate. You know exactly what you want out of a spouse. Some of you need to take a year off. Some of you need to break up with him or her. You need to separate. God's been telling you, listen to the nudge. God's always doing something. He's always trying to nudge us in a direction. The question is, are we hearing it? Are we willing to say yes? Are we willing to take a courageous act of obedience that might cost us something in the end but will ultimately bring us more? There's this incredible story of, of Jesus. He's walking along and he has his 12 disciples with him and, and outside of the disciples, there's you know, the, the followers, they're like the hundred. Then there's a crowd of people. There's always a great crowd of people that follows Jesus. And among the followers, there's a man, and, and he's been following Jesus for a while. We don't know who he is, but we know he's been part of the followers. And, and on this rare occasion, Jesus turns around, looks this guy right in the eyes, and gives him an incredible invitation, really the invitation of a lifetime. They're walking along, and Jesus stops, and he turns, and he looks at the guy right in the eyes, and he says, follow me. This isn't like a generic follow me, like, hey, everybody, follow me. We're going to go get lunch. No, no, this is follow me. This man put on the spot, like, oh, oh Wow. I get to be one of the followers? But his response is so much like ours. His, his response is it's from somebody who's, he's, yeah, Jesus, you're important, and, and yeah, this is incredible, and yeah, I think you might do some awesome things. But he replies, Lord, first, first, 
You're important, Jesus, but I've got to do something first. Jesus, I think what you're saying is really valuable, but I've got to go do something first. First, let me go and bury my father. That sounds like a reasonable request. But the truth is, in this culture, they didn't leave dead bodies lying around for days and days. They didn't have freezers to preserve the body. They didn't set them out for reviewing. In Jewish first century culture, when someone died, they buried them that day or the next day. So his father, and every scholar agrees, wasn't dead. His father was alive. Maybe he was sick. Maybe he was just getting older. Essentially, what he's saying is this. Hey, Jesus, I know what you want to do is important. I know it's incredible. I mean, we're going to read things about you for years and years to come. But I've got to go get some stuff settled. I've got to go take care of a few things. I've got to work on a few things and settle some things. I've got to work, and I've got to settle some things. And once I do my thing, then I'll come back to this. Well, I I love what you're doing, Jesus. But let me go do what I want to do first. And then I'll come back. How many times do we miss an incredible opportunity? Do you know what this guy's name was? No. No one knows what his name is. Because an incredible opportunity came and passed him by. Yet we all know James and Peter and Andrew and John. I mean, we name our kids after these people. It's like, hey, Peter, Andrew, James and John, come here. Judas, you, you, you stay in the back. We don't want you up front. But Peter, Andrew, James, come here. Do you understand by your courageous act of obedience to follow Jesus? We will talk about you for years and years and years to come. People will name their kids after you. But nobody knows this guy. Because there was a nudge. And he said, but let me go do my thing first. There was a nudge. It was, no, maybe later. The story goes on. Another guy comes along. And this guy says, Jesus, that guy was an idiot. I'll follow you. I'm ready. Jesus, I'll follow you. But first, let me go and say goodbye to my family. You think, well, of course, that sounds reasonable. The problem is, but first, before I do anything with you, before I give you anything, before I'm willing to do anything for you, let me go do what I want to do. I've got to work. I've got to settle some things. Let me deal with my family first, and then I'll come back to you. Another opportunity missed. Jesus responds to them, and he responds kind of harshly. It's not as harsh as we think it is, but he says this to them. He says, let the dead bury their own dead. Wow, really, Jesus? But you, he says, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I've got a plan. I'm nudging you to take step in that plan. I want you out of that job and into this new. I want you to start the work that I've been asking you to start. I want you to join a church and go into full-time ministry. I want you to serve on a team. I want you to start a small group. I I, I want you to to open a a daycare. I want you to start something significant. I want you to open a nonprofit. I'm looking to do something incredible in you and through you. What's your answer? My wish for you is that when the nudge comes, your response isn't, but first, let me go work some stuff out. My wish is that when the nudge comes, you're willing to say, yes, absolutely. You know, when we started six years ago, this idea of church, we were all volunteer, and over time, the church began to pay. I, I left my job, and I got another job doing sign making. And then about two years ago, God gave me another nudge, and he said, I want you to quit your job sign-making, and and I want you to go full-time at the church. And we kind of laughed, like, seriously? They can't even afford to pay me part-time. How are we going to do this, God? 
my wife and I talked, and I did. I quit, and I became a stay-at-home dad for a while, and she took on more responsibility, and I moved into full-time ministry, not seeing any way, not knowing the outcome, how it was going to work. And now not only are we paying for a full-time hire, we're looking for another part-time hire. There is something significant about saying yes to God, not knowing the outcome, getting in deep, being a little bit over your head, looking up and saying, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. Because that allows God to come in and do what only God could do. And the whole reason for this is that he doesn't just want to do something through you. He wants to do something in you. Are you going to let him? Are you going to go? Are you going to do? Or are you going to be like the other two guys? But, but first, let me. But first. So that's our, our, our first wish. We're going to move on to our second wish. And I, I've got to tell you, we're not going to spend as much time on the rest of these, but we'll move through these kind of quickly, hopefully quicker than the first service because I went way over. Um, my wish for you is the thrill of knowing you were instrumental in someone's decision to follow Jesus. I wish every one of you had an opportunity to know how instrumental and how incredible it is to be a part of someone's story who decides to follow Jesus. Like asking somebody to come to church or extending an invitation. You you step outside of yourself and you're uncomfortable. Anytime you kind of bridge that gap of somebody who you want to make an invitation or you want to talk to about Jesus or you want to invite them to church, there's this uncertainty and there's this nervousness. And most of the time, most people are like prayed up. You're like, well, you should pray about that. I've been praying. I can't pray anymore. You should probably get closer to God. I, I'm so close to God, I don't even think I could sin. You're like, you're wired and you're nervous and you're scared because you're about to do something that's completely uncomfortable, that's completely unnatural. And the truth is, if you're sitting here with someone who invited you to church, you know this just as well as I do. We know they took a leap. We know they took a risk. We know it was uncomfortable. Yet you did it. You extended yourself and you went out on a limb. You went out on a ledge. And my hope for each one of you is that at some point, you are part of someone's story who says, I came to faith because of what you did. Actually, I want to take it up another level. My hope for you is that at some point in one of our baptism services, and we're showing the video when they're talking about their testimony and how they met Jesus, that they reference you by name. It was because of you that I came. It was because of you that I trusted. It was because of you that I joined a small group, that I came to journey, that I'm following Jesus. There is, is this, this untold pleasure of knowing you were a part of somebody meeting Jesus. And for some of you, it's going to take that act of obedience. For some of you, it's going to take that act of courage. It's going to be to extend an invitation, to know that maybe they, they, they don't fit in. Maybe, maybe you're not sure that they're a Jesus follower, but you're inviting them to a small group anyway, and they come, and it's, it's a little uncomfortable, but then they begin to click, and they begin to open up, and they begin to have this, all of this interest. For some of you, it's going to be extending an invitation to the lady at work who works four cubicles down, and she always asks a bunch of questions. You know she's curious about faith, but you don't know where she is. For some of you, it's going to be inviting a family member who you know if you ask, there's so much on the line because they could make fun of you, or they could ridicule you, or they could come, and it could stink. I want each of you to know what it's like to be a part of someone's decision to follow Jesus. Let, let me ask you a question. I, I thought this was a good question. When's the last time you invited someone to journey? Let, let, let me ask it a little more uncomfortably. When's the last time you showed up at Journey Church and you were nervous because you invited someone and you were scared to death that they, it was going to be weird? And you've never prayed for me before, but you prayed every day that we oh, don't let Jim mess up. I know he's a serious one. Hopefully he's not too spiritual. I, I know Brian's a funny one, but I hope he's not too funny. I, I know Chris is great and, and he leads the worship band, but I mean, I hope the music's not weird. I hope he doesn't mess up. I hope he picks the right song. I hope the coffee tastes good this week. You're just, you're nervous because you've invited someone and everything's on the line. 
When's the last time you were nervous because you invited someone to come to Journey? I wish that for every one of you. Because when you feel that way, when you come in nervous, do you know what you do? You begin to see our church through different eyes. You begin to see our church through the eyes of somebody who's never gone to church or maybe hates church and has all these predispositions about how bad it is. You see things that way. And that's what we've set out to accomplish, to overcome all of those kind of roadblocks, to create a church where unchurched people would love to attend. And the only way we know how to do that is if you continue to invite people and be a part of it. As a matter of fact, if you haven't invited someone to journey, let me ask you, or encourage you, invite them. That's what we do. That's, that's why we set out to do this. We didn't create this for us. The truth is I could sit at home every Sunday and drink, drink a good cup of coffee and eat my breakfast and stream you know, a preacher from halfway around the world and play a, a set list on my iPod. Like I could do all of those things. We didn't do this for me. We do this for the people to create an introduction to Jesus who need it. We do this for your friends and for your family and for our community and for our neighbors and for the people we work with so that they would have the same opportunity we did to meet Jesus and to know who he is and what he wants for them, not from them. I wish every one of you would have an opportunity to know what it's like to be a part of somebody's faith story. And if you haven't invited someone to journey yet, let me encourage you. Guys, this is why we do what we do. This is why we made this church. We are sold out to this. And we would love for you to be a part of it with us. Our, 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 my third wish, rather, is this. The freedom and joy of knowing, <clears throat> or rather, the freedom and joy that comes from organizing your financial world around give, save, and live. Now, we've talked about this a lot. We don't talk about money a lot, but every time we do, it comes back to this. I've talked about it from the beginning, and I talk about it now. There is freedom and joy. And everyone thinks, well, giving, saving, that's not freedom. That sounds like rules. There is freedom and joy from living your life around this idea, idea of give, save, and live, of putting God first, saving, and learning to live on the rest. There is joy in that, and there is freedom in that. And here's why. It's not that I don't want you to have stuff. The truth is I want you to have stuff. I don't want your stuff to have you. And it doesn't matter how much stuff you have or how little stuff you have. There's something in each of us, this, this kind of insatiable desire for more, for discontentment. It's not good enough, and I need the new, and I need the bigger, I need the better, I need more of it. My hope is that your stuff doesn't own you, but you own your stuff. And the only way you own your stuff is if you put God first, not your stuff. Is if you're willing to give, give God first. Save, I'm saving for my future first, or second. And then live. I will find a way to live on the rest. There's a, one of our, our leadership team, Seth and Margot Poplowski. Seth plays keyboard, and Margot does our sports camp, and she helps with middle school and nursery. In incredible people. At the end of last year, Seth lost his job. <clears throat> and when it came up, I was really nervous. They had just moved into a house. They just had a baby. The, all, the team just rallied around, what can we do, what can we do, what can we do? Nothing, we're fine. Are you sure there's something we can't do? Christmas is coming up, what can we do? No, no, we're, we're fine, we're good. How were you guys good? Because I've worked my life around this. And for two months, he never went hungry. They weren't kicked out of the house. As a matter of fact, they did work on the house. They celebrated Christmas together. They gave every single week. It never left. My life was built around give, save, and live. He is an example. They are an example of what it's like, the freedom and the joy that comes when you're willing to put God first, your future second, and then learn to live on the rest. Because their stuff doesn't own them. And my prayer for you is that your stuff doesn't own you, but you own your stuff. Jesus had this incredible, incredible statement. He's, he's really known for this statement. And, and I think it, it kind of captures this whole talk of money. He says this, For where your treasure is, 
And treasure can be anything, right? That can be your stuff. It can be your money. It can be the thing you like to drive, the places you like to go. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, the thing is, God doesn't want your money. God doesn't care about the money. He doesn't care about the stuff. He cares about your heart. And he knows the only way to get your heart is to have the rest of this. The only way to know that he has your heart is to have all the rest. And when he has all the rest, he has your heart. And you have freedom and you have joy because you're not spending every night awake, worried about your money and how you're going to use it and how you're going to spend it because you've modeled your life. God first, my future second, and I'll learn to live on the rest. You want to know where your heart is? Check your credit card statement. You want to know where your heart is? Watch your online spending. You want to know where your heart is? Check your Amazon Prime orders. You want to know where your heart is? Watch where your money goes. If your money is all about you and your family, then you are all about you and your family. And if you want your money to have more impact, you've got to spread it out. God says, I'm really not concerned about the money. I'm really ultimately concerned about your heart. And if I can have your heart, then I know I have the rest of you. Learn to give. Learn to save. Learn to live on the rest. My fourth wish is this. Oh, sorry. Well, before I jump to my fourth wish. <clears throat> if you start giving, if you get on a giving plan, and we encourage everyone to do so. We encourage every person here to be on a plan to support their local church. Whether you're a Christian or not, we encourage you to do it because everyone needs a church at some point in time. And everyone's happy there are churches in their communities. You should have a plan to support your local church. And the way we talk about this is through our automated giving online, where you can create a plan to support your church. And if you think this is about money, and, and Jim just wants more money, and he, you know, the journey does, let me encourage you. Don't give a dime here. Send your money somewhere else. This has nothing to do with us needing more of your money or the church wanting more of your money. It has everything to do with your heart. And as your pastor, I want your heart to be in the right place. I want your heart to be in line with God's plan, with God's will for your life. And the only way we know how to do that is to put your, your, your heart where your treasure is. Where's your treasure? If you're willing to get on a giving plan and support your local church, I promise you this. If you start that, you will end up on a spending plan. And a spending plan is just two words for, for a two-syllable word. You know what that word is? Budget. It's a budget. If you're willing to get on a giving plan, you will end up on a spending plan. You'll end up on a budget. But it doesn't work the other way around. If you create a spending plan, very few people ever get to saving. And even less of you get to giving. Where's your heart? Where's your treasure? Where your treasure is, your heart will be there also. And my wish for you is that your heart would be with God. My wish for you is that your heart would be in line with God's will and God's plan for your life. And the only way to do that is to put your treasure where your heart is. If your heart is in a place you don't like it, change where you're sending your money. Your heart will follow. That's my third wish. Our fourth, my fourth wish for you is this, that you could see the difference your, com your commitment and generosity has made in churches all over the world. We'll start locally. We're a small church. We, we started three years ago, and since then we've been growing, but we're already making a difference in our community and in other churches. Other churches are sending people here to figure out how we do kids' ministry and how we create open and welcoming environments. And, and they're not coming to listen to me. Not one person who's came has come here to hear something I've had to say. 
They've come because of you and the environments you've created to welcome people, all people in, to be a part of what we're doing. We're already making a difference in our community, but we're also making a difference in our nation. There is a ministry we support called uh, the Cooperative Program, Co-op. We send money to them every month to support them. It's, it's all entirely about church planting. We're a church plant. We love church plants. We want to support church plants. We're a part of supporting over 1,000 church plants across the nation and over 120 missionaries across the world. Your money goes far to make a difference, not just in this community, but across the nation and across the world. Another organization we support, and you, you guys don't get to see this because you're, you know, during the week, you guys have real jobs, right? You're all busy. This is my world. This is what I get to see. We support another ministry called Restoring Hope Ministries that has set up a work in the Congo in Africa where the, the, the land has just been completely divided and tormented by, by civil war and unrest and abuse and abandonment. And they, they, they set out on a mission to create a compound where they can go right in the middle of the action and offer support, offer crisis counseling, offer care, offer medical assistance, create a place where we can train ministers to bring the gospel out into the, into the community. It started about three years ago. They finished last summer, and they opened their doors to the, the first set of ministry training, thinking they'd get about 20 students. They packed the compound out so much so there was only room outside. They're already building their second building, expecting more, because the community is ripe for a harvest. People are hungry for the message of Jesus and the love of God. You're a part of that work. You might not have any idea of what your assistance and your generosity does here, but let me tell you, it goes to changing the world. Not just churches in our community, but across our nation and across our world. And my final wish is this, and this is for a very specific group of people. If you've been coming and you find yourself kind of, kind of turned off to church, you weren't sure, maybe you came as a kid and, and you hated it, your experience was awful, you felt abandoned or left out or pushed out, here's my prayer for you, here's my wish for you, that you would keep seeking and you would keep asking and you would keep knocking. That you wouldn't give up just yet. That in the end, you would keep trying. You would keep, keep following. Did you know you can follow Jesus before you believe what he believes? His apostles did that. They followed him before they were even sure of who, the, who he was. And then when they kind of find out who he was, they unfollowed. And then they refollowed. My wish for you is that you would follow. That you would belong even before you believe. And then as you follow, maybe you begin to believe what he actually said. Maybe you begin to believe the claims he made about his life. Maybe your questions begin to get answered. But don't stop seeking. Don't stop asking. Don't stop knocking. Follow and see what Jesus is willing to do. And all of this, all that we do, it all comes back to one incredible conversation Jesus had with his disciples. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he, he begins to ask, he wants to know what's happening in our community. <clears throat> People are beginning to stir. People are beginning to ask questions. So he sits down with his disciples and says, hey, guys, who do people say that I am? Well, some people think you're a devil. Some people think you're, you're, <clears throat> you're an angel. Some people think you're Moses or you're Elijah incarnate. That, that's all weird. Who, who do you say I am? But, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the one our entire religion was founded on and for. Jesus, you're it. Jesus replied to him and said this, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. There's no way you could know this unless God told you. 
Everyone else has missed this. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people have heard and have not understood. But Simon, you understood. And then he says this, and I tell you that you are Peter. He changes his name. And on this rock, not Peter, but on the rock of that statement, that I am the Messiah, that I am the Son of God, that I am what's been talked about and prophesied about and proclaimed about, I'm that thing, this rock, on that I will build my ecclesia. And that word ecclesia, I, I go back to that because we reference that word as church, but there was no word for church. Church is a German word. Jesus wasn't speaking German. He said, this is my movement. This is my people. This is the viral thing that I'm about to start and that I want you to be a part of. And I will build my movement and the gates of hell, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That's his way of saying, I'm going to do this thing and no one's going to stop it. They tried for hundreds of years. They persecuted. They tried to drive the church out. And do you know what happened? It grew and it got stronger and it got stronger. So then over 2,000 years later, here we are having the same conversation about the same incredible people. I will build my church. I will build my movement. No one's going to stop. But here's the thing. I want you to be a part of it. Would you build it with me? For some of you, God's nudging you even now. For some of you, God's saying, but there's more. For some of you, he's saying, just don't stop asking. See, my, my question for you is, is I want an, this courageous act of obedience. It's not about information. It's about transformation. Are you allow, going to allow God to do something in you and through you? And if you will, your world, your life, your family will never be the same. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for an opportunity to share, God, from my heart. To share, God, exactly what it is I've been feeling. And really, God, what I want for this church and what I want for everybody who's a part of it. I pray that you'd give us the wisdom to see, God, the things that you want to do in our lives. The wisdom to see that nudge, God, to maybe to take a step, to quit a job, to start a business. God, to join a team or join a small group. I pray that we would, we would shift our lives, God, around putting you first, our future second, and then learning to be satisfied and live on the rest. I pray you'd give us the wisdom to do it, God, and the courage to do it when it gets tough. In Jesus' name, amen.